0: at LuckyLandslots.com.
1: Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply. I'm too far
0: now. And I will break down. I'm gonna put it in.
2: listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. The song you were listening to is Drive by Jessica Hannon, straight out of Mansfield, Ohio. Jessica is our featured musical artist tonight. She's been called Ohio's number one homegrown country rock act, and she has quite the touring schedule to prove it. So stick with us to the end of the podcast, let you listen to the entire version of her new hit, Drive. But right now, let's throw another log on the fire, campers. We've got a brand new mystery for you. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder. And with me is our storyteller, Paula Schleiss, a multi-award-winning journalist who spent 30 years writing news and features for the Akron Beacon Journal.
1: Hey, everybody.
2: I can't speak for anyone else, but I was sort of hanging on the edge of my seat last week after you telling us about the disappearance of Miami University sophomore Ron Tamman in 1953. You said you had another case of someone walking off a college campus and into oblivion. So why don't you tell us about that?
1: Oh yes, tonight I've got a strange tale right out of the Great Depression. A young woman who went missing from her dorm room. And this case takes a couple of twists that you won't see coming.
2: Well, I'm ready to jump right in. And I'm not the only one. Let's remind our listeners that we have a new feature called Armchair Detective. At the end of this mystery, we'll talk to an actual Ohio Mysteries fan to get their take on the case. So let's hear the facts. Where do we start?
1: That would be May 4, 1937. And I'd like for you to meet Ruth Baumgardner. She's a pretty girl. And We know this not only because we have her picture and can see it, but it seems just about every story written about her points out that she was a pretty girl. She's also the daughter of a wealthy man, a businessman from Lakewood, which is a Cleveland suburb. Her dad, Carl Baumgartner, is a manufacturer of funeral accessories. She's got a mom, Emma, and a sister named Ora. But Ruth isn't in Lakewood at the time of our story. She's in Delaware, Ohio, home of Ohio Wesleyan University, where she's an art major. Ruth is 22 years old and just one month away from graduation. Now, Ruth has one of the few single rooms in Austin Hall, the female dormitory, room 319. So she didn't have a roommate, but she was a member of the Delta 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 Sorority. I think they call themselves the tri for short. Have you ever heard of the Tri-Deltz?
2: No, but I love it. Delta Delta Delta.
1: Tri-Deltz. Anyway, May 4 is a pretty typical evening. Ruth went to practice for a singing competition. Her sorority is getting ready for their annual song fest. And friends said she seemed jovial. After practice, she went to her room to study for a test that was scheduled for the next day. And at about 11 p.m., she stops to chat with some friends that are in the dormitory's smoking room. I was surprised they had a smoking room. I thought people back then just smoked wherever the heck they wanted. Yeah,
2: I didn't think anybody cared about secondhand smoke.
1: uh, Apparently they did. Hmm. (laughs) So anyway, her hair's in curlers, she's wearing her pajamas and bathrobe, and she's behaving perfectly normal. Well, late the next day, Ruth doesn't show up for dinner. And when her sorority sisters start comparing notes, they realize nobody had seen her all day. She had not only missed all of her classes... She never went to take the test that she had been studying for. Was that a red flag for you?
2: I mean, probably. You'd think that, you know, she's going to college. You're going to want to, you know, make sure you're hitting every single test. That's for sure.
1: So they report her absence to the college, and an on-campus search begins. In her room, Ruth's pajamas and bathrobe are hanging in the closet, and her room has been tidied up and the bed made. It's unclear whether the bed was made... After she had slept in it or whether she had never slept in it.
2: Okay.
1: Her alarm clock had been set at 6 a.m. and they said the clock had run down. Now, I'm not an authority on those old fashioned clocks, but I think that indicates that the clock had gone off with no one present to shut it down.
2: Okay, so there's no snooze button, there's just a little twist thing that you twist at the back of the clock. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So
1: when they say it ran down, I'm assuming that means nobody hit it and then just over time it It just went out. It unwound. Okay. So all signs are pointing to Ruth leaving Austin Hall on her own in the early morning hours without being seen. Now, her mom will later determine that a brown suit was missing, suggesting that's what Ruth wore when she left. And also missing was an overnight travel case that was recently purchased. Interesting. It is. Now, there are a couple of strange things here. First, her friend said Ruth was anything but tidy. It was a complete surprise to find her bed made and her robe hanging up. The other odd thing was the key to her room had been placed on a stoop right outside leading to her room, as if it had been carefully left behind so it could be found.
2: Huh, like um, my key's here, I'm, I'm leaving.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay. But if Ruth had left willingly... There came the question of her car. She had a brand new fiery red Dodge convertible that her father had given her as an early graduation present. Don't you want to see what a fiery red Dodge convertible in 1937 looks like?
2: Yeah, i definitely going to look that up.
1: Oh, that's, that's got to look cool. Anyway, the car is found in its downtown garage spot. Some reports said the car key was in the ignition. Other reports suggested the car key was on the same stoop as the room key. I can't say which is true. But, Steve, now you've got this unusually tidy room, the key to her room in plain sight, her car is untouched, her overnight traveling case is missing. So collectively, this is enough to stop the university from reporting her disappearance to police right away. They want to check in with her family and see if they know where she is and if there's any reason for them to be concerned.
2: No, it's, uh, this, this is two and a half hours away from Lakewood, so you know, it's not like they can do this quickly. It's not like nowadays where you can text or send a Facebook message.
1: Yeah, I th- it sounds like they spend the better part of a day, you know, just checking in and making sure there, there are no reasonable answers to where she is. Right,
2: and let's do a little bit of a description here of Ruth. She is five foot five, one 110 pounds. They say she has a regular light streak in her hair on the left side, and she has a dimple on her chin. So she's not, she's a very small girl you know she's
1: petite yeah and really adorable we've got a picture up on the website so you can check that out and so the university learns from her family there is absolutely no reason for her to be off campus so the university turns to the police and in many ohio cities the news of this finally makes the newspaper on may 7 1937 And Ruth has to share local front pages with a very big story. Do you want to guess what was on every front page in the country on May 7, 1937?
2: At that time, I'm thinking the Dust Bowl or the Depression
1: stuff. Well, it was the Hindenburg disaster. The German airship had just exploded and burned at Lakehurst, New Jersey, killing 36 people. Remember the famous quote from the... The the anchor? Oh, the humanity. The
2: first time you got a computer, that was the first time I ever heard that, because you showed me a clipping of it, and I was like, wow, and he was
1: crying. I listened to that a lot. It was chilling to hear that emotion as he was watching this ship be destroyed. If you visit our website, you can see one of the Ohio newspapers with the Hindenburg photos splashed across the front page, and beneath it, a small headline about Ruth's disappearance. So right away... Two theories emerge. The father is wondering if his daughter has been kidnapped. After all, he's got a lot of money. And Ruth's sister even says it probably appeared Ruth was flaunting their wealth because she had, quote, a gaudy car that she had been given for graduation. So the family is, you know, initially they're waiting for a ransom request.
2: Sounds like her sister's a little jealous there.
1: (laughs) It did sound like that. Right. The cops, however... Are immediately defaulting to their favorite theory when a young adult goes missing. Now, Steve, from last week's episode on Ron Tammen, fresh in your mind, I know you the answer. Don't
2: say it. You Don't know the say answer. it. It's amnesia.
1: Amnesia. Ah. Yes. Police are wondering if Ruth left her friends at 11 p.m. and immediately developed amnesia and left the campus.
2: Wow. That's their excuse for everything. It's almost like the satanic panic of the, you know, there's the amnesia <laughs> panic of the day. Uh, the
1: amnesia panic. Well, you know, and the funny thing is, Ruth's case is 1937. Ron Tamman's case was in the 1950s. Oh. So well over like two decades, amnesia is the favorite trend here. I guess. So, anyway, so, some other theories soon rise to the surface. First of all, In spite of friends reporting that she had been acting normal and was even jovial the night before she disappeared, Ruth was a woman under serious stress. In letters she had written to her parents, she spoke of feeling very tired and overworked. She said she had too many things to do and not enough time to do them, and she was worrying about whether she would get enough credit hours to graduate on time. Her father even suggested she might have been on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Police also learned from the Tridelts that the day before Ruth's disappearance, she had received a number of phone calls from a man. In a couple of cases, friends intercepted the call because they had a communal phone in the dormitory, and they could hear the man. He had a high-pitched voice. Is Ruth there? That was very good. And when she wasn't, when she was, oh my God. Okay. When they
2: were. (laughs) I should warn you about that stuff, right?
1: (laughs) Let me know when that's coming. Okay. Okay. So anyway, he declined to leave a message when he was told Ruth wasn't around. But Ruth was around at least twice in recent days to take a call from the mysterious male voice. Is Ruth there? <laughs> okay, very good. <laughs> and each time she came away appearing happy and excited. She liked that high voice. <laughs> so the school newspaper ran a notice asking anyone who had placed a phone call to Ruth in the weeks prior to her disappearance to identify themselves. To the best of our knowledge, no one of interest came forward.
2: Nobody was sucking on a helium balloon and got on a The, the helium okay. bo-
1: balloon was empty, yes. Okay. Authorities now have Good cause to wonder if Ruth has run away with a new boyfriend. Now, tips are pouring in from all over, which is what happens in any case like this. So the the police have people telling them they've seen her in Delaware in the days following her disappearance, and she was with a guy. Some say they saw her hitchhiking with a young man. A truck driver tells police he picked up a couple claiming to be married, even though the woman didn't wear a ring, and that she called her mate Frenchie. And he called her Ruthie. Frenchie. Frenchie and that Ruthie. That sounds like a
2: guy who would, you know.
1: Have a high voice. That's right. Ruthie. <laughs> he said they were headed to Texas and he dropped them off in Asheville, North Carolina. So with all
2: this information coming in, it's probably safe to say there was a reward out.
1: Um, likely.
2: Especially if he made so much money.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't remember specifically them mentioning it, but I would be very surprised if they didn't. And then someone else in Detroit said they spotted her there having lunch with a film representative and that she was headed to Los Angeles for a possible movie career. A film representative, okay. So police thought some of these sounded pretty credible, but they were never able to confirm any of them. Oh, and a night watchman at Austin Hall said in the early morning hours of May 5th, He saw a car with two men drive up to the west side of the building, and two girls got in, but he didn't recognize the girls. So Ruth's closest friends and family, however, aren't buying this. Her friends say if she had a new boyfriend, she would have mentioned it to them. And her family said Ruth was in a very committed relationship back home. She was newly engaged to a man named Bud Moore, uh, who lived in Lakewood, And Bud was in the process of having the diamond setting from his grandmother's ring put into a new ring for Ruth. So they said they were very serious in their relationship. Then there was this one rather eerie report. A local resident living near the campus reported hearing screams between 2 and 3 a.m. on May 5th. The investigation could never confirm where those screams came from. Now, Delaware Police Chief Earl Amrine... He wants to be as thorough as possible. He says he's ready to dynamite a nearby quarry on the possibility that Ruth had fallen into it. Now, Friend said she liked to go there, and it was noted that the screams reported by the resident that night could have come from the direction of the quarry. But the chief was talked out of doing that, although they do end up searching a local river and no evidence found.
2: Okay.
1: Meanwhile, Ruth's sorority sisters are front and center. They're following leads and tips all over the place.
2: Delta, delta, delta.
1: And I thought this was really kind of um, thoughtful of them. In making the rounds, they stopped in at every Delaware florist just in case Ruth had placed an order for Mother's Day. They really feared that if Ruth had ordered flowers for her mom, that some unwitting delivery man would show up on the doorstep with a big smile and a bouquet of flowers, and just increase the right, you know the. the oh, she must be alive or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, this case was not just on Ohio front pages; it was making headlines all over the country. So much so that in Boston, Massachusetts, I love the moxie on this girl. Girl walks into the police headquarters, lights up a cigarette, demands a cocktail and announces she's the missing co-ed from Ohio. Police quickly learn she was actually an escapee from a mental ward in a Boston hospital.
2: I mean, everything was smart there except for asking for a cocktail and lighting a cigarette.
1: (laughs) I'd like to see that happen. Uh, Anyway, Ruth's parents, they seem increasingly convinced their daughter, for some reason unknown to them, left on her own. So they go, they collect her things from her dorm room, they take them home, they guess, well, she's going to return home, surely she's going to go home and not to the university. And then they hire a private investigator to go find her. All right. Now here's the first really wild twist in this case. In September of 1937, so this is about four months after Ruth disappears, the Ohio State Highway Patrol loses its first officer in the line of duty.
2: Oh, so this is the very first officer ever? Very first ever.
1: Patrolman George Kahn, he is shot and killed near Freeport when he stops to investigate four men and a woman in a parked car beside the highway. Freeport, Ohio. Now, in January of 1938, so this is just a few months after that, the four men are arrested and charged with Officer Kahn's murder. They are Bernard Masula, Pete Serino, Charles Ford, and Booker Johnson. Masula and Ford will go on to be convicted. Masula will get a life sentence. Ford will be convicted of manslaughter. The woman identified in the car as Bernice Bradley will never be located. But out of this case, seemingly unrelated case, comes a brand new story involving Ruth Baumgartner. Charles Ford, one of the men who was a suspect in the patrolman's murder, testifies at trial that he was with Missoula, Sereno, and Johnson when they abducted Baumgartner, drugged her, and took her to a house of prostitution where she was forced into service. Ford said the day began in Pittsburgh where the men left in the same car and drove to Steubenville, Ohio, then stopped at a house on Wells Street run by a guy called Steubenville Skip. Ford and Sereno stayed outside. Masula and Johnson went inside for 15 minutes. Then they came out and announced they're going to Delaware because Masula has an appointment with a girl there. I've got a girl up in Delaware. <laughs> that that would have been a giveaway. That would have been a that giveaway. That would have been a giveaway. In Delaware... They find the girl. Ford says, well, we found the girl. She's standing along the street waiting for us. It's the wee hours of the morning. Masula got out of the car, talked to the girl for a couple of minutes, then brought her over to the car. And she looked inside the car and saw three other men. By the way, Ford and Johnson are black. Masula and Serena are white. And she says she doesn't want to get in the car. And I'm wondering at this point, did she think maybe, you know, in this case, if this theory were correct, um, you know, did she think she like, was going to have a date with this guy? And all of a sudden, there's three other guys yeah, in the that's car. Odd. That's not a good sign.
2: Right. Well, smartly. would so be screaming.
1: Well, yeah. Smartly, she says, Yeah, I'm not getting in that car. And at that point, Missoula, according to Ford, says, You are going. Oh, and yeah, she's little. She slaps her, forces her into the car. Once inside, the other men hold her arms and legs while Masul injects her with a drug, after which she stops struggling. Oh. So he said the girl had an overnight bag with her. They took the bag with them. Then they returned to Steubenville and dropped her off at the same house on Wells Street before driving back to Pittsburgh, where they had begun the day. Now, years later, another Ohio State patrolman named Ernest Webb would jot down his life story. And in his bio, he talked about interviewing Ford about the Baumgartner case. He said Ford had called the girl they had abducted that night by another name. But when he was shown a picture of Ruth, he said that was the girl they took. Webb said Ford told him Ruth was supposed to have been taken all the way to Pittsburgh to a house of prostitution there. And when Ford told him where that house was, Webb got the Pittsburgh detectives in on the case. He joined them, they went to that Pittsburgh house on a raid, and there was a big gunfight during which a carload of men got away. But inside the house, they found a woman named Ma Brown, I assume she was the madam, and several girls. And they showed them all a photo of Ruth, and they agreed Ruth had been there, but had been known by another name. Now Webb said right after that raid, he was in his hotel room, so I assume it's like that night. He was in his hotel room when a Pinkerton agent, presumably the private investigator that had been hired by the family, approached him and told him to lay off the case. Huh. He said Ruth had been returned home, placed in a mental institution, and that her parents wanted the case closed and no public announcement made.
2: That's crazy.
1: Well, uh, you know, this sounds really credible. I mean, this Webb guy is an Ohio State trooper who was in on the case.
2: And Pinkerton, that's a big deal back then, you know. Yeah. It's a, a big well,
1: private that's investigation. The, That was a big, but and yeah. apparently, I mean, it sounds like they were successful and had found her. So Webb wrote in his bio, and, and here's a quote. Before I gave him an answer, I conferred with Inspector Moynihan and Colonel Black, and they both agreed. This is the one story the press never got. As we told them, she had just disappeared.
2: Jeez, this is really odd uh, that the parents would say, "Don't you know, leave it alone."
1: Leave it alone. Well, you know what? At this point, I'm thinking this is a good. There's a lot of detail in this story, so I'm buying it. Okay. Funny thing is, investigators said, "Don't believe it." They dismissed the story that Ruth was being trafficked. For starters. They pointed out that on the day Ruth was reportedly abducted, three of the men who were to have taken her, masullo Sereno, and Ford, were all in jail and had been in jail for weeks before and after her disappearance. Huh. Detective Inspector Walter Monahan, who arrested Masulo and Sereno in the patrolman Khan case, called those claims ridiculous. And also throwing doubt on this very colorful story is that Johnson, one of the four suspects in the con case, originally told police they had killed Ruth and buried her under a garage in Pittsburgh's Hill District. Now, I'm not sure if police dismissed this after a search of the garage, but publicly, they called this a fake story.
2: Yeah, I mean, think about it. This is, um, you know, this is a black man back in that time, so he's probably trying to throw out anything.
1: And the fact that he ended up with a manslaughter conviction um, makes me think, you know, did he, was he telling them, weaving them a story, hoping for a lighter sentence? Right. And got it. Yeah. So, I don't know. You know, what appears to be true, however, is that Ruth's parents did indeed ask police to close the case. For what reason, we don't know. One can only wonder why a parent would end an investigation into a missing child.
2: So was there their explanation that they just wanted it closed that she was returned, like the Pinkerton agent said?
1: Well, if you're to believe Webb, who was a Ohio State patrolman, yeah, that they had found her huh. and institutionalized her. So, then if that's the case, why? What had happened to her? Could she have been pregnant? Maybe she'd had an abortion. Maybe. She died during an abortion. Maybe she eloped with a man that felt they felt was beneath their station. You know, they were wealthy. Maybe this was a man of a different socioeconomic status or a different faith or a different high-pitched nationality. Voice that was very annoying. They didn't like his high pitched voice, like it. you know, or did they really find her in a house of prostitution and was she institutionalized because of a drug addiction that had been forced on her.
2: Yeah, and the father was probably pretty prominent in business and probably did not want some of that stuff to come out if it was true.
1: Right, right. I mean, that's not an atypical personality for that era. So, you know, if Ruth's parents did know more than they shared, there might have been a clue in the obituaries of her parents. Carl died in 1957. Emma died in 1969. Both obituaries refer to their daughter in the past tense as the late Ruthie Baumgartner. So I don't know if that means they knew where she was and they knew her to be dead at that time. Or did they simply presume her dead? I don't right. know. So by the way, I, I need to take a moment at this point to credit users on the internet form Reddit who have been obsessed with this case for years and I've uploaded all kinds of things, from Webb's bio to court transcripts, and a lot of my resources were from that site. So
2: they are very, very good. They're, they're, they're really good armchair detectives out there.
1: Yes, I, I love reading those pages. Steve, I got to add one side note. It's a personal one, but one that gave me goosebumps. So follow me here for a minute. Okay. When I mentioned this case to a brother of mine, he reminded me of a story that our neighbor told our family back in the 1960s our neighbor Leora she was an elderly woman and she said that she had a sister that went missing they were a family from Holmes County and that her sister disappeared was gone for many years and when she returned very late in life she told them she had been forced into prostitution and that she was too embarrassed to return home even when she could So I set about investigating that case because I was just personally curious. And I found the original story of when Leora's sister went missing. And it was April of 1937, just three weeks before Ruth disappeared.
2: Wow, that is crazy. Did you put that on Reddit and let them know?
1: I did not. Oh, man. But you got to wonder, was she, if Ruth was abducted by a, a... white slavery ring and that's what they called it back then um, could Leora's sister have been abducted by the same ring right around the same time
2: well we have a lot of Reddit uh, listeners so I'm sure they're going to love this part
1: yeah I should go on and you know, and
2: Ohio has right, always been you know uh, sex trafficking has always been very bad here and I was telling you the other day that Uh, You know, the number one event for sex trafficking is the Super Bowl, and the number two is the Arnold Classic held in Columbus, Ohio.
1: That's crazy. Yeah, you know, when I was researching these stories back in that era, I came across a few headlines about white slavery rings and houses being raided and women being rescued, rescued. So. Yeah, human trafficking is definitely not something new, but it is something that has not gone away. Because as that, you said, it's a, a current trend.
2: That's something I never heard before it being called white slavery.
1: Yeah, that it was it was white slavery back then. Now it's human trafficking, but it's it's all the same thing: forced prostitution. Hmm. So, Steve, this case has me pulling my hair out. I am really excited about just handing this mess over to our armchair detective. This is a special segment we call Armchair Detective, where we select an Ohio Mysteries listener to review the episode in advance, and then share their thoughts and theories of the case. Tonight's guest is retired columnist with the Akron Beacon Journal, Kim Hone McMahon of Green. Welcome, Kim.
3: Thanks, Paula.
1: Well, Kim, let's just cut to the chase. There are so many possibilities in this case. What are your favorite one or two theories about what actually happened to Ruth?
3: Well, we have to remember that life in 1937 was much different than it is today. Families had secrets, and they kept them that way. You sure didn't want to embarrass your family, you know, and they sure didn't want to be embarrassed. So there was no Facebook, there was no podcast, and a family's reputation was very important. It is today, but more so back then because you were probably a little tighter with the neighbors and you know your church groups and just just the community in general and then if you had a business you add that on top of it. So by all accounts the bomb gardeners had it easy compared to other people during the the depression. My husband's grandparents for instance were what some might consider wealthy right up until the stock market crashed. For example, before their marriage, he used to pick her up in a car driven by a chauffeur. But most people were more like my mom, who was 103, which is actually the same age as Ruth would be if she were alive today.
1: So were they actually born the same year?
3: Same year. Well, uh, if not, she was Within 22. a year of each other. Yeah, she was 22 and 37, In that's all my mom was. And my mom's still living. And oh, that's amazing. Anyway, so my parents struggled to make ends meet uh, during the Depression. They took in boarders, and Dad kept his fingers crossed that he would continue to have a job at Goodrich. So I compared the two just to show that there were definitely haves and a lot of have-nots. In fact, there were so many have-nots because uh, in '37, because of the Ohio Flood. In addition to the depression, there was this this flood early that year that left a million people homeless, Um, and a lot of them in In
1: 1937.
3: Yep, 1937 earlier in the year. So, um, but Ruth, well, she really didn't know much about people's money's woes. At 22, love though, love was important. So I suspect that Ruth met this guy, the guy who called uh, on the phone. The guy with the real high voice. Hello! (laughs) Um, And though she was engaged to a wealthy guy named Bud, she was bored with her privileged lifestyle. Uh, She wanted some adventure away from mommy and daddy's watchful eyes. So when she met, um, well, let's call him Billy Bob, she was smitten. He was nothing uh, like he was used to. He was a smooth, but he was a smooth talker. Certainly poor by Baumgartner's standards. He promised that he would give her all of the adventure that she could handle. The thought of running away with him was exciting, but she was anxious. Remember when she said, she tells her mom that she was feeling stressed? I think it's because she had these strong feelings for Billy Bob. And she she wasn't really worried about whether or not she had enough credits to graduate. So... Though she wanted some adventure, she also wanted to be respectful to her parents and friends. That's why she tidied up the room and left things like her watch and sorority pins behind. As far as leaving the car in the dorm parking lot, in the 30s, my dad owned a really snazzy car. And I've heard these stories over and over about how he would go to leave someplace and have to ask folks to step away from it so that he could get in. So a fiery red car would surely have been spotted. In the middle of the
1: Depression. Yes. would stick out.
3: And Ruth just wanted to disappear. So that's another sign, though, that she left the keys, I think, is another sign that she had respect for her parents. From my perspective, the story by Charles Ford, uh, who was one of the men convicted of killing the state highway patrol officer and his buddies... kidnapping Ruth and taking her to the house of prostitution.
1: That didn't convince you? No,
3: no, that's make-believe. Yeah, I mean, all of those guys were in jail. So, you know, he he just made up that story. I think that he made it up to distract detectives away from the patrolman's death and to leverage a better deal for himself, which he got, right?
1: He did. He ended up getting convicted of manslaughter, where uh, the other guy that convicted in this case got a lifetime sentenced for murder, so he did have it, it was taken easy on him.
3: Yeah, and as far as the prostitutes saying they spotted her in the house of ill repute, nah, that's baloney.
1: Well, what would they have to gain by lying?
3: Nothing, but I don't, I think they were like, oh yeah, we're important, so, you know, we're going to make this up, oh sure, yeah, maybe they got a little attention from the detectives that they otherwise may never have rubbed uh, shoulders with. You know, all of that.
1: I could see that. So simply
3: put, I think she met Billy Bob and they took off. Um, I recall, the reason I say that is because I recall in the 70s, one of my classmates not coming to school for a year. And years later, she said, you know, what they said about me, that I moved south because I was pregnant isn't true. You know, I never did find out the real reason she left and why she was gone for a year. But people are quick to judge. And Ruth didn't want her fiancé or her parents to be embarrassed by her shenanigans. So she left all of her riches behind for true love. When the parents found out where she was and who she was with from the private eye, they disowned her. Ruth was okay with that because, again, she didn't want the family's business or reputation to suffer because of her.
1: Now... Uh, You know, you hear, and I've had a couple people in my extended family who disappeared for decades and then revealed themselves. Because time passes, wounds heal, people mellow. What are the chances that she would actually just disappear for a lifetime and never try to come back and see her parents again?
3: I think that when you add money and a business into it, And the depression and all of those things, I think that changed all of that. And I just think they disowned her. Now, you told me that Ruth's mother had passed away in 1969 and her father in... um, 57. 57. So, you know, I think that she was... And that they had mentioned in the obituary that it said that she was the late daughter of them, I think that maybe she was dead. You know, a lot of women back then died during childbirth, and or everyone assumed when she was never found that she had had passed, and the parents wanted to leave it that way.
1: So you believe that the Pinkerton Guard probably did find her, told the parents, and is that why the parents then called the
3: police off? Either the Pinkerton Guard found her or she called them. Okay. Or got a hold of them somehow. They found out what was going on. And, you know, I mean, even back then, if somebody committed suicide, it was traumatic to the family. It was embarrassing. So you can imagine, here she is, maybe ran off with this guy, and he was either, he could have been black Imagine, you know, a black and white couple back in 37, although that would have been easier for them to spot. Um, So it may not have been that. He could have been been
1: poor. He could have been a different faith.
3: Right. A different
1: nationality. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, I can remember even dating back in the 70s, and my mom would say, we were Protestant. She'd say, is he Catholic? So you can imagine back in 37 what that must have been like. Right.
1: Well, one other thing I wanted to touch on, and that was the detective who left his memoirs back, saying that the Pinkerton guard had told him, you know, call off the dogs. She's been found, and her parents have institutionalized her. That that one fact is kind of outstanding if she ran off with somebody. what What could that, how do we resolve that?
3: I just think it was a made-up story. I I don't think that she was institutionalized. If she was, then I think that you would find an obituary for her. You never did find it, right?
1: Uh, The Reddit team that has been uh, obsessing over this case for years have looked everywhere and cannot find any evidence of her death under that name.
3: Right. So that's why I think she wasn't in there, unless they changed her name. But I don't think that's the story. I like to believe that it's a warm, fuzzy love story, that she didn't want to embarrass her family and ran off with Billy Bob.
1: I like this ending. This is a happy ending. So, okay. All right. I accept your theory.
3: Thank you very much.
1: (laughs) And thank you. You tied that up with a nice little uh, neat bow. Steve, any questions of our armchair detective? No, not great. Uh, we've solved the case. Thank you so much, Kim. It's you true want thing. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to be a future armchair detective, uh, let us know. You can write us at feedback at Tell us a little bit about yourself. We'll be uh, pulling from listeners all the time for this segment.
2: Well, that's it for another Ohio Mystery. Check out our website at ohiomysteries.com for photos, news clippings, and more on the disappearance of Ruth Barmgarner. If you like our podcast, please spread the word. We are on Facebook and Twitter, and would be so grateful if you would like, follow, share, or retweet us to your friends and family. We'd love to have them join us.
1: And that brings us to tonight's featured musical artist, Jessica Hannon. Check out Jessica's music on her website, jessicahannon.com. That's Jessica, H A N N A N.com. That's where you will find her extensive touring schedule as well. On November 17, she'll be at the Galleon Moose in Galleon, Ohio. On November 21, you can catch her at the Back Room in Mansfield, Ohio for their Thanksgiving Eve party. And on December 1, she's coming to Nathan's patio in Canton. Times and addresses are on our website, so check it out. You can also follow her on Facebook and Twitter, and be sure to look for her YouTube channel.
2: Our first female musical artist. This is exciting.
1: And our first country artist.
2: Nice. And you can find links for all of our featured musical artists on our website. Just look under the Featured Music link at OhioMysteries.com. If you're making original music in Ohio, we might feature you too. So just shoot us an email over at Feedback at ohiomysteries.com and tell us about yourself to start the ball rolling. So turn up the volume, kick up your feet. We're going to leave you with Jessica Hanna's new song, Drive. And we'll see you right back here next week for another Ohio Mystery.
0: To outrun the past Before it finds me If I can calm these trembling hands And keep from looking back It'll stay behind me Far behind me I'm too far Put it in. Let it all right. Oh, oh. oh. And drive